So we're going to go to John chapter 3. And this is sort of kind of what it looked like. And I'm going to talk to you about verses 3, 1 through 10. And imagine, you know, put yourself there if you would. Let's do this Bible study just a little bit different. And let's just for a second, just for tonight, if you would do this with me. If you forget about everything going on in your life. I know there's so much going on. I know there's a lot happening. But for just this next 30 minutes or 45 minutes or four hours, however long it takes to do this. Just kidding. Um, However long it takes, I want you to be with me there. At that moment, when a man named Nicodemus came up to Jesus, and let's just say we were a third person in that discussion, and let's just go back to Israel just for a minute on a cool, crisp night in the desert where everything looks kind of calm. You can go to the next slide if you want to. Oscar, if you're back there, okay. And look at it. I mean, look at this. Look at this scene coming up here next. Look at this. This is kind of probably what it looked like. It was nighttime. There's a soft light of a fire lit candle or, or torch back there in the background. And you got this meeting going on between. They're socially distanced. Look at that. They didn't even wear masks back in that day. How about that? But here they were. They were sitting down and they were talking. And this man from an honest heart who was a ruler, a teacher in Israel, who had studied the, 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 the Pentateuch. All right, He was an expert in the Word. And I think I told you this before. I'm very sure I did. But in order to be a Pharisee, you had to be able to quote word for word the five books of Moses. Imagine that. Imagine that. Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. You had to memorize all of this. Exodus. You had to memorize every one of it. And sometimes it took months for the recital. And they could start you in the middle and go back to the front, or they could go all the way from front to the, to the end. But you had to know the Word well enough that from your memory, you had to be able to quote it. That's a fact. That is a historical fact. These men could do that. So we look at this and we say, what, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal is he knew the Word. Ten times better than any of us in here will ever know it. At least the law. So here's a guy coming to Jesus who did not understand a thing about what Jesus was talking about. Even though he knew the Word, word for word. He didn't get it. And there's a reason for that. Okay, but imagine if if we're there right now and you could, you know, some of us have been there, you know, you could the coolness of the nighttime air and the stillness that was going on in this scene right here. It looks very still. Nobody's milling around. It was nighttime. There's a reason why Nicodemus came by night. Obviously, he didn't want to be seen by the rest of his peers coming to this man called Jesus that was causing such a stir. But something inside Nicodemus desired to know more. He felt truth emanating from Christ. And when you got that way with Jesus right there, and notice that Jesus was meeting with him. And this is very symbolic because when, when we come to the Lord, listen, the Bible says that when we diligently seek Him, He will be found by us. And that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Look at what He's doing. We see God meeting with someone. Why? Because that someone wanted to meet with God. 
So that's the first thing we learn from this that's not even really what we take in when we read these verses of Scripture. We have understand that when you see Jesus speaking in here, when you see Jesus in your mind, you are looking at God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Understand that when Jesus speaks, that's God speaking. And when God does something, when Jesus does something, that's God doing that. So Jesus being the great example that He is, is showing us that when we are sincere in heart, when we desire to know more, when we feel it, we just don't understand it, and we want to go to God, He'll meet you there. In that still, quiet place, He'll meet you there. And then He will reveal to you. And He'll unveil to you. And He will lift you up. And He will share His presence with you. I'm telling you, I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved to have been able to hop in a time machine, knowing what I know right now, and go back to that moment and knock on the door of where Jesus was at and say, Lord, can I just, can I just walk and talk with You just for a little bit? Can I just meet with You tonight and talk with You about a few things that's been on my heart? Can I first thank You for being who You are? Can I touch Your hands? And feel the hand of God. Can I look into your eyes tonight and while I speak to you and see that the eyes of God are looking at me? Because I'm sure that when you got around Jesus, when you got around God Himself, there's just absolutely no turning back. There's absolutely no other feeling in the world like it. When God stares at you. Yes. And He knows you. And He sees you for everything that you are. He's hearing your thoughts as you sit there. Feeling your heart as you sit there. Knowing that the intent of your heart is pure and, and, and wanting and needing to hear from God. This is what He sensed in Nicodemus. I could preach just on the meeting for six weeks and what that meant. But when Nicodemus had a need... And this is one of the greatest needs of all. He, he didn't come to be healed. He didn't come to be enriched with something. As you notice, the Apostle Paul, when he was in jail, he never really prayed to be freed from jail like we would. Oh God, get me out of this position that I'm in. No. He just said, oh God, let me praise you from this prison. And he sang hymns. And then he would pray for wisdom. He wouldn't pray for his situation. He just didn't even look at that. So Nicodemus came with a pure heart. He came wanting to know. He came just wanting Jesus to be real with him. And share with him. That's what Wednesday night, that's what Sundays are for. Come with the heart of Nicodemus. Come for God. And He will change your life. Because He'll meet you here. He'll meet you right here in this Big Woods church. He will meet you here. Next slide, Oscar. Now as we go on walking in the Word together, John chapter 3, this is a famous 
still picture from the show Jesus of Nazareth that was back in, I believe, the 70s or 80s. And, you know, a very, you know, I think his name was Powell, I believe. Last name was Powell. Very, very indicative of the way that we think Christ would look. You know, something similar to that. He was playing Jesus of Nazareth. And he's noticed that he's reading the scrolls. And in the movie, he was announcing who he was right here, reading in the book of Isaiah as he was reading, telling that he had came to, to heal and to set free the captives and, and so on and so forth. And so we chose this slide for this purpose. And in John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, it says, And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus said and answered unto him. Listen to what he says. He's admitting. He's showing his heart. He's coming to the Lord. He knows out of all my learning, out of all my education of being a Pharisee, being able to quote the Pentateuch from the first book of Moses to the last book of Moses, I'm missing something. You know, no matter how old you get in the Lord, no matter how long you've been coming to church, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you still have a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn. We have just touched the iceberg. And brothers and sisters, let's just dive in together. Let's find out how much of God we can take. And let's go into the depths of the Lord and let Him fill our lives and explore this Jesus. The second person of the Holy Trinity, the Lord, the Savior, the Good Shepherd. He knew he was missing something. And Jesus said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, wait a minute. I missed this. Next slide, Oscar. I'm missing this. What do you mean a man must be born again? You're springing something on me that I've never heard of. You see, he had never heard of this before. Things were changing. The tide was changing. The new covenant was beginning. Remember I told you guys, the Old Testament, it's like cutting a basketball, all you UK fans down here. It's like, take that UK basketball you got and cut it right down the middle and you got one half and you got the other half, right? Well, God made it so from the beginning of the world that we would have two halves and it would start with the first half. And the first half was the law, which was the five books of Moses and the prophets, which derived and came forth the law of God, which we get the Ten Commandments. But let me tell you something. If you never read the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it's absolutely the most boring thing you will ever read. But you will see that God is highly detailed in the law. You had so much stuff to do in the law, you couldn't do it. I mean, so much so, and I'm not just saying this, but he told you how to use the bathroom, where and how to deal with it. If you've never read it, it's in there. No joke. The idea of the law is this. It shows you that you can't keep it. That as a fallen man and woman, we cannot, we are not holy enough to keep the law. It's the idea of it. But then the law only brought punishment and consequence. It never dealt with the sin problem. It only showed you when you sinned. That's the first half. 
And then the people would all go and see the high priest and they would make their offerings. And then once a year, the high priest would roll the sins back of the whole nation until Messiah would come and abolish it all. Even though they knew that, they didn't understand what was happening. So now you have the law, which tells us when we do wrong. And now we have grace, the other half of the basketball, which the law tells us when we do wrong. Grace should lead you to Christ for forgiveness Put that together and you have, "Uh uh-oh, I messed up. Jesus, please forgive me. Boom. We have a perfect covenant. It's not imperfect. And Jesus said, as, as Brother Jess preached, and He hit the nail on the head, He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. It fulfilled its use because He's here now. It leads us to Him. Do you see how this works? And so Nicodemus didn't get this. He wasn't as privileged as we are. He never, he never had this ability to understand what we understand. Listen, we have the advantage over that man. You have the advantage. You've got a Bible. You've got the Word of God recorded for you. And so he says to Nicodemus, well, Nicodemus in John 3, verses 4 through 7 says, Nicodemus said unto him, But how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered. You see what, what Nicodemus was doing? It was he was trying to understand spiritual things by way of carnal thinking. And you can't do that. You've got to understand God. The Bible says that now is the time when we worship Him in spirit and in truth. We have to understand spiritually and see these things. Your carnal mind just can't get it, you see. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born... Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, he says, that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Now I want to take a minute and and help you to understand this as we look at it. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit. What in the world is he talking about? First, you have to be born naturally. Second, you have to be born spiritually. Nicodemus didn't understand this theme that was going on here. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But to get to this point, you got to be, and it all works this way, in order to be born again, you got to first be born in the flesh, and that's your first birth, but then you also have to be born again. Okay? And let me just go on and stop right here as we're reading this. God has made human beings for this very thing. To operate outside of being saved is to be operating in a defective mode. Understand that, folks. You're not made to be unsaved. You're made to be inhabited by God. We are made for that. The designer who created us created us to cohabitate with God. And to live outside of the design is to live 
a, a very defective life and the defective mode. That's very important to understand that. God designed you for this very thing. Nicodemus didn't get it. It, it, he was bringing the point to Nicodemus. Your position as it is as going to heaven is two things. You're in or out. You're in or out. And it's based on whether you've been born again. And we're going to get in what is born again. What is saved. We're going to, we're going to go into the, into the nuts and bolts of this thing here in just a minute. What does it mean to be saved? Okay? And we became defective as a result of the fall of, uh, of mankind in the garden. Sin inhabited man. Sin became our primary source of living. Our primary soul source. Everybody inherited sin. You have to deal with it. I have to deal with it. The object of coming to church, and let me get us back on track where God wanted us to be. As I wish I could preach this to the nations. God didn't want us to come to church just, just to have happiness, okay? He didn't want us to come to church to have our best day now. Tell that, tell that to Jesus who was crucified. This was not his best day now. Tell that to the apostle Paul who was shipwrecked, who was beaten and stoned. Tell that to him. Tell that to him who was bitten by a viper, who was, who was, clubbed and everywhere he went who was on chase everywhere that he went this was not his best day now this was not his best day now so what is he talking about so the purpose of the church is to lead us into right right standing with god and to keep us there and to preach proper doctrine it's to keep you in relationship with God. That's what us pastors, that's what we're supposed to do, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's exactly what Paul said. That's a direct quote. Sheep bear sheep. We have to do that. That's what we do. We multiply. We reach a fallen world. And before I get into that, because it's a whole other sermon, God did not develop us to dwell in an outside relationship. He built us to commune with Him. And when you don't do that, you're defective. The mission of Jesus was to get us back in a right standing with God. Acts of ritual will never change you. Sliding beads across the string won't change you. Repeating some creed won't change you. It will not. Being baptized won't save you. That's putting the cart before the horse. Taking communion will not save you. These acts of goodness and acts of ritual does not equate to salvation. It is a gift of God that comes down from up above to a repentant heart and to someone who is asking for forgiveness and wants to be forgiven of sin and expresses faith in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of the living God. Nicodemus didn't understand this stuff. So he says to him, what's born of the flesh is flesh and that's what's born of the Spirit is spirit. We've got to understand this. Your two parts, your flesh and spirit, 
The most important part of you is the Spirit. We all have to learn that's been born again to let the Spirit overrule the flesh so that we're guided by the Spirit and not by the lusts of the flesh. That's the secret to successful Christian living. That's hard for a lot of folks to do. He said, marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. Next slide, Oscar. And he goes on to say it like this. The wind blows where it, where it will. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whether it comes or whether it goes. And so it is to everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, And thou art a master in Israel, and knowest not these things. But do you know, over the course of, of, of pastoring all these many years, I can tell you that a lot of Christian folks don't understand what it means to be saved. What does it mean to be born again? It's what we're lacking. I heard Brother Jess make this statement the other day, and it's almost when God began to work on me on this, on this sermon. I don't know when the last time I've seen someone saved. We see a lot of people come up and make acknowledgments that God is real, but that's not salvation. That's not salvation. To be born again, now we're going to get into some nuts and bolts. To be born again is to have the life of God to come into your very soul, come into you. That is something real and distinguishes Christianity from every other religion on the planet. Islam tells you how to be good. You follow rigid orders and rules kept and covenants made. Buddhism is the same way. Mormonism is the same way. Being a Jehovah's Witness is the same way. I can take you back to the roots of every one of these religions and where they came from and who started it and who, where it derived from. Mormonism is a spinoff of Islam. Believe that or not. Believing that you inherit a plane if you die a good Mormon, you also get so many virgins when you enter this new plane of living. The same as Islam teaches. None of it can boast the born-again experience. Now, when I got saved, and I'll give you my testimony, when I got saved, my brother was addicted to cocaine. I think I've shared this with you guys. I went to church thinking I was good and he needed the help, and I'm the one that got saved. I was the good guy. You know, I didn't drink and smoke and do drugs. I was a decent dad, and I worked every day and thought I was a good guy. God saved me. Because at that moment, I realized I had a problem. One of the hardest things for us to do is to surrender and to honestly mean it with God and to ask for forgiveness when you think you've done nothing wrong because you don't understand. Okay? A lot of people just don't understand. In the same way we have life in the natural birth, we have to have the new life when it comes by way of God from the Holy Spirit. We go from being dead to God to being alive to God. In that moment, I'll never forget. Brother Jess preached on it. That preacher was preaching. I couldn't even tell what he'd tell you what he was preaching on. I just know that the Spirit of God was dealing with my heart. And when I say the Spirit of God's dealing with my heart, let's talk about that. What does that mean? 
That means when you come to church and the preacher's preaching and you feel something stirring inside your heart and you feel like God is touching you, it might, you might feel it like that. You might feel a, a moment of, of happiness or joy or you might feel a moment of, oh God, I'm so sorry. That is God reaching His nail-scarred hand to you. Move and come up and pray. He's wooing you. The Bible says that when we come to God, He woos us by the Spirit, trying to draw us to Himself with, a, to himself with an open hand. Come unto Me. And then at that moment, I'll tell you, I had a hold of that man. I had, there's fingerprints in that, in that pew back up there. And I'm telling you, I had a hold of that thing. And my hands was a shaking. And, and when that preacher said, is there anybody who wants to come up here and pray? I was saved. My life changed. I didn't know nothing about the Bible. I was never taken to church. Never taken. This is why my faith is out the roof. Because no one taught me how to be a Christian. It's very dangerous to have been taught to be a Christian because you can deceive yourself into believing that you are one because you know how to be one. You know, to act like one. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. That is so, so, so dangerous. I was a filthy, nasty hog. Man, I can tell you, I was so dirty. No one talked, no one read to me the Bible ever. Never. Wasn't taken to church. But I knew, I don't know how, I don't know how when a duck hatches out of an egg, it knows to go swimming a pond. But I just knew I had to go. And I'll never forget it, what it felt like. I'll never, let me just share the nuts and bolts of this with you. Man, I let go. And I'm not anything special. This happens to everybody. Because if you don't change, you're not saved. I'm just going to tell you how it is. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. We're going to go over that here in just a minute. You change. It's not a creed. It's not a discipline. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. I came, I took that first step and my heart broke. It was like I, I had a mirrored image of myself and I realized that I, I could feel the presence of God and you know, when you're dirty, you remember, you remember the scene. Here's the scene. You remember the woman that just made her way into the house where Jesus was sitting and teaching to the Pharisees and she came in there and broke every law and standard of the, of the book in the book. And she came right in there and she grabbed a hold of the feet of Jesus and she was crying and her tears were falling on his feet and she was wiping them with her hair, but she was crying her eyes out. She was crying. She was crying. She was crying. Why was she doing that? Because she knew she felt Jesus in her heart. She knew that she was standing in the very presence of God and she seen herself and could feel herself for what she was. She knew who she was and she finally came to terms with it and she admitted it and she knew that the only place that she could get help for this was at the feet of Jesus. That's what this altar should feel like to you all. Feet of Jesus. And she came in there and she began to weep and to cry. And she didn't care about them old Pharisees and their fakeness and their standards. And you can't touch anybody or you'll be unclean or you will have the spiritual cooties. She didn't care about that. 
She made her way in that room and she didn't care who was looking. She didn't care who was listening. And then you look in the Bible and says, Jesus said, if, I'm a, if you're ashamed of me in the presence of men, I will be ashamed of you in the presence of my Father and His holy angels. She didn't care, boy. She wanted to make her way to Jesus no matter what men thought. Jesus, who was going to do His part too because He didn't care what people thought. And let me tell you something that's equally as important. God don't care where you're at. You can be in the middle of a business. I mean, God don't care. He'll meet you there. You can be in the middle of church. God will meet you there. In the middle of your living room. God will meet you there. He don't care. He's going to get to you too. He wants to be with you as much as you want to be with Him. And Jesus, who is sitting right there in that room, just said, well, all your sins which are many are forgiven me. Go and sin no more. Jesus read their thoughts. This man knew who was touching him. He, if he was a man of God, he wouldn't let this woman touch him. And that woman felt the release of her life as finally the burdens were gone. The sins that was committed were counted against her no more. Her burden in her heart was towards God, not towards mankind. She didn't care about the law. She only cared what God thought of her. How about you? I came up to the altar that day and I remember walking the aisle. You know, I was the classic church person. You know, everybody gets to church first to sit in the back. I've never understood that, Brother Jess. I want to be where the glory comes out. This right here, this is the spit area right here. You're going to, you're going to get some of this right here. You have to wear a plastic thing right here in the front row. Especially if you get really anointed. You know what I mean, Brother Jess? But I was sitting way back there. And I let go of that pew, Brother Bill. And let me tell you something. The very first thing I told her is I said, I feel so different Man, I was the most racist guy you would have ever known. You have no idea. I could be pretty bad. And God saved the chief of sinners. Paul, move over, son. I knew how dirty I was. And to feel clean, finally, I realized that clean isn't a shower. It's a bloodbath. When I felt the hand of God grab a hold of me, when I felt the embrace of the Holy Spirit grab a hold of me, and the love of God put His arms around me, it changed me. It came into my soul. I told her, I'll never forget. I walked outside the church that day and I heard the birds singing. Life looked brand new. My perspective changed. My perspective changed on life. I completely changed. Them old boys I like to run with that was so evil and bad and didn't want to have nothing to do with those. Oh, and now you're better than me. No, I, I'm, I, guess my, I guess I am. I don't know. I'm just telling you I don't want to do this stuff no more. 
I don't want to hear dirty jokes no more. I don't want to curse no more. I don't want those things. I want to live for Jesus. I want to follow Him. I want to hear the Master. You have no idea. I wish I could pull this out of my heart and give you some and say, here, take a hold of this and feel this and you'll know what I mean. I was totally different. Totally different. And my life changed. I, I didn't know what to think. I, was, I said, okay, I'll, I'll get the Bible out and I'm going to read it and I'm going to find this out. And I dusted off that big tabletop Bible, you know, the one that weighs about 35 pounds, and I poof, and I put it, when I wiped that thing off, and I opened them pages up. And it said that you would experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. Man, I scratched my head. I said, that is me. And that it's a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. I said, that is me. And the Bible says. Therefore, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. What does this mean? This is me. The old J is gone and doesn't exist no more. I'm the new me. And it wasn't long right after that that Tammy got saved. And I tell you, it just radically changed our life for the better. God made His way into our hearts. It is a total and complete change of you inwardly. By the indwelling, not by a second work of grace. The Bible says if you do not possess the Holy Spirit, you are not of God. It actually calls you a, in the King James Version, it calls you a fatherless child. I'll use that word. It just strikes me. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart and changes you. And you have a covenant with God. And He is there. And all the sin that contaminated you is thrown away. And a new life is begun in you. So, what does all this talk about? Why must we confess our sins? This shows God that we have an earnest desire, desire after we recognize it ourselves, that we want to get rid of it and we know that we can't. That we're no longer trying to use human means to get to that point. We're not going to go try to relieve our sins in a Budweiser bottle or through taking pills or through shooting drugs in our veins, or through committing acts of sin that bring, a, bring us pleasures for a moment. We're not going to try to, to do it through religious means, and chants, and evil things. But we confess to God because we believe in God, number one, and we believe that God hears us and sees us, and He's the one that's going to do something about it. And God sees that we recognize it, and God says, let me help you out. God says in 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Romans 5 and 8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God completely takes this out of our hands. I want you to understand, you can't do a thing physically to earn your salvation. You can't do a thing. You have to come to terms with Jesus Christ in your heart and ask Him to save you to forgive you, and that you believe in Him and who He is. And God, when He sees the very intent of your heart, will save you. This was a very real meeting that Jesus was having with Nicodemus. These people didn't understand. Oh, but listen. When you know that the power of sin has a hold over you, when you know that you're a captive needing to be freed, When freedom comes, you know it and you see it. You're not going to have this kind of contact with Jesus and it just slipped by. Okay? I knew a girl who went to church all her life. She taught Sunday school. She sang. She was one of the special singers in the church in Tennessee. Her dad was the pastor. And then she got saved 20 years after that. That's a fact. You can't be good enough. You have to be saved. There's a choice that you have to understand that you have to make. This is a life and death thing. It's a very very much a love story. Very much. A loving God who wants to. But the problem with Christianity today is we only preach that side of it. We don't preach the other side. Listen, there's a consequence to this. You're in or you're out. What does out mean? Just a happy party that you're going to have somewhere else with all the rest of the sinners? No. The other side of the loving God is consequence of not doing it. Now, brothers and sisters, it's a biblical fact that Jesus preached more on hell than He did heaven. Why? Because it's a real place and real people go. And there's no sense in that. It's the church's fault because we're afraid to preach the truth to the people. Afraid of what they might think. Afraid they might not come back. Go to the next slide if you would. A couple slides. Right there. Look at that. This is the very essence of what your soul needs. Your soul needs that meeting. Your soul needs that. My soul needs that every day, even after I'm saved. Every day, my soul needs that quiet time with Jesus. Right there. It comes through reading the Bible. It comes through prayer. It comes through coming to church like you guys do so faithfully. I so love that. That's why I had brother, I've got the official adoption papers from Brother Jess. I'm now a member of the family. That way, no one will leave here because of me, because I'm family. Right, Kim? Yes, amen. Thank you. So, what do you say? So, what does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? Salvation. One of these days, I'm going to teach you the whole book of Romans. We're going to walk through that whole thing, we're going to pick it apart. 
Because Romans gets into justification, salvation, sanctification, glorification, all the shuns as I call them. And it goes into great detail. And you need to know that. So if, how are we going to share our faith? How are we going to share what God does to us if we don't know? But for us, first base is, what does it mean to be saved? How could Jesus look at a, a priest, a, a, a Pharisee, and tell him, you ain't going to heaven? Can you imagine that? You'll never see heaven unless you get born again. Don't you, don't you know that? So here I stand today in the Big Woods Church. 2000, yeah, 22. Telling you the same thing. You have to be saved. You have to be born again. What is it? A total life-changing, inundating of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And a gift from God to a heart that sees itself for what it is and wants to repent Repentance means to totally turn and go the opposite direction. I was going that way, Greg, but I see that way is the wrong way, so I'm coming back. I'm repenting. And I'm not going to go that way no more. That's why Jesus would always say, your sins are forgiven you, go and sin no more. Now that you've repented and turned towards Me, stay towards Me. Don't veer. We veer. And He still loves us. And He puts us back online. What do you say? Being born again. A total forgiveness of sin. The incoming of the Holy Spirit in your heart. God changing you. You're a new creation, a new creature in Christ. Totally different perspective. Totally different view. A totally different desire in your heart. You don't come to church just because you've you got to come to church. You come to church because you love Christ. And you know that's what He wants you to do. And you feel His presence. And you want to get more of that. You want to see other people saved. You want to see your kids saved. I see all the little grandbabies running around. i got grandbabies. You know what my worst concern is that they'll grow up and not know who Jesus is. Not knowing who He is, but not being saved. They're going to watch you. They're going to wonder why mommy and grandma and grandpa goes to the altar. There's a song I want to sing one of these days. Whoa, daddy talks to Jesus and he thanks him for his grace. Whoa, daddy talks to Jesus. Oh, but someday face to face. When I was six years old, I slipped in my daddy's room. I heard him talk to someone, but I didn't know who. I saw the one but daddy, and you know how kids can be. So I said, who are you talking to? And he replied to me. Whoa, daddy talks to Jesus. And He thanks Him for His grace. Whoa, Daddy, He talks to Jesus. Whoa, but someday 
face to face. Do your kids see that with you? Do they see that in me? Do they hear you praying? Is Jesus just a byword or is He the Word? Stand with me.